Um, right, okay, and for the um, for our podcast as well, um, Haley's just going to pin the link at the top. Uh, as the sponsor of this room is the wonderful Big Dog, that the storage racking and shelving specialists. They've always sponsored us from day dot with this room. They believe in sponsoring uh, women in construction and equality in general. So please do check them out if you need anything for your business. Um, then click on the link when it is available above. Um, Nariman, we'll we'll come over to you. I, I know I did a bit of an intro there. It's probably a bit of a shoddy one so um why don't you tell us all about yourself displaced talent and what this actually means thank you Michaela thank you again for having me um uh, I'm really grateful um that you enjoyed my story and I'm so happy that I can you know let people know about displaced talent and how amazing it is so I'm Narmin Al-Kadur I work for Build a Career where we specialize in purpose-driven recruitment but I always say that we are so much more than that because we actually help change lives. I mean, we are part of PSR Group, which are already specialists in recruitment for construction and healthcare. But Build a Career was born out of the desire to support employers fill their ever-growing skills gaps by supporting socially disadvantaged cohorts into sustained employment. Some of our services include <clears throat> the recruitment of ex-offenders, release on temporary license candidates, both male and female, domestic violence survivors, care leavers, early careers, ex-forces, and so, so much more. And our most recent and newest initiative is Displaced Talent, which I lead as the Displaced Talent Ambassador. So Displaced Talent is basically another term for refugees. And the reason why we've named them that is because contrary to negative stereotypes, refugees are, all, are often skilled and educated individuals, but unfortunately they've always been misrepresented through the media. So at Build a Career, we saw an opportunity where on one side of the world, you have highly skilled people, but in dire situations. And on the other, there are companies struggling to find talent. So what if by solving one problem, we could help alleviate another? Now, we already have access to more than 50,000 skilled professionals from every industry. And when I say every, I mean healthcare, IT, construction, management. We even have archaeologists. And 80% of these individuals hold a bachelor's degree and 73% speak English at an intermediate level or higher. I mean, it's very important to mention that when refugees flee their countries, they do not leave behind qualifications, education, skill. So at Build a Career, we really look to break this stigma surrounding them and really, we really aspire to be a catalyst for, for positive change. So if I could ask you all a question, which you don't have to answer, but when you think of a refugee, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I mean, <clears throat> and allow me to picture it. Um, you see people in shabby clothing, they've got dirty faces, they look, they're sleeping on the streets and they look really unapproachable. But the reality is that they do not look like that. I mean, they've been assaulted, violated, shot at, bombed. I mean, what are they supposed to look like? But unfortunately that their story is never highlighted in the media. And to prove it even further of how talented and amazing these displaced talent individuals are, I actually am a displaced talent. And um, I actually came through the displaced talent program and joined, joined Build a Career only nine months ago. So just to tell you a little bit about my story, um, I'm from Syria and I grew up in an environment where education wasn't really encouraged uh, for women. I received a lot of you know, negative feedback from people when I wanted to study and being the black sheep that I always say I am, I didn't want to settle for what people expected of me because a woman back there was, her place was in the kitchen, 
cooking, cleaning, you know, the typical, the typical stigma. And even though my parents supported me, they were faced with a lot of negative feedback. I mean, people told me things like, why would you want to work like a dog when you can stay home and be a princess or a degree never put food on the table? And being the only female in my whole household, the whole, my whole family to go to university was such a big deal. So you can imagine the pressure that my family had, you know, listening to relatives or people surrounding us. And when I finally got into university, I worked so hard, you know, because I had something to prove. I wasn't just studying. I was trying to make my parents proud. I was trying to <clears throat> keep make them, make them happy because I wanted to prove everybody wrong. So I graduated in three years instead of four. I was always in the top five. I had two job offers for me after I graduated. And, you know, I was just ready. You know, in my last year, I was about to graduate. I was so ready. And I just wanted to get my degree and just start building my life and building a career for myself. But for every student, I mean, it's any student that's in their graduation year, you know, it's just the beginning of their life. But unfortunately for me, when I was graduating, it was actually the end because that's where I was, where I saw my dreams just, you know, get pulled away from me in an instant because when the civil war happened, I had to move back to my hometown and we lived near the military airport. So you can imagine the sounds that we would hear. We were surrounded by soldiers. I would wake up in the middle of the night on the sounds of bombings and shootings and just wondering like, am I dead or alive? There were snipers on rooftops that had the green light to shoot at anyone they thought looked suspicious. So it makes you wonder what does suspicious look like? We could even leave our homes. Imagine fearing for your own life in your own home. And I remember thinking one day, like, you know what? Maybe, maybe everyone was right. You know, a degree really doesn't put food on the table. Maybe I'm better off being a princess. You know, what was the whole point of studying? So for many more reasons to list, I had to move. Uh, we moved to uh, Lebanon thinking that we could find refuge there. Uh, but, when it, but when it came to employment, we had no legal working rights. We had no basic human rights. We were discriminated, taken advantage of given really poor salaries. And I remember I worked at a company for five years and a half and I was never happy there, but I didn't stay with them because I wanted to, but because I knew how hard it was to find work, especially being a Syrian, you know, the burden that the whole world had to deal with. And the day that I plucked the courage to finally leave, they, three people had to replace me, three people. I mean, that would have never happened in the UK because I was the executive assistant to the marketing manager assistant to the IT, IT and stock manager, social media manager, and um, sales invoice clerk for four of our branches. And my salary over a five and a half year period only increased by $250, which is absolutely nothing. But I was just happy that I had a job. I was happy that I could, you know, make an income and live with a bit of dignity. And we had these investigation offices <clears throat> in Lebanon that would show up suddenly at companies without notice. And they would search the premises for illegal Syrians. So I was always afraid, like, what if they came? What, what if they came all of a sudden? What, how, what should I do? And imagine fleeing a war and moving to another hosting country where you also live in fear that if they ever catch you, they'd send you back to the country that you actually escaped from. And I remember one day my financial, the finance manager, he came to me and he said, Narman, Narman, Look, if the investigation office comes, just go and hide in the toilet. I remember looking at him and thinking, is this the norm that I'm supposed to, that I'm supposed to accept? I mean, I'm an educated individual. I have a degree. But what have I done to deserve such treatment? 
And my husband used to work for an architect where he would literally do the whole project for him. And his boss only had to sign and put it under his name. And when and his boss would get thousands and thousands of dollars for the project, my husband only get $500. And when he finally asked for a raise, his boss refused and told him, you're lucky that I hired a Syrian. So what do you say in such a situation? What do you say to a man who's trying to make a living, who's trying to feed his children, who's an educated person, you know? I mean, how do you respond to such a person? And if you don't know what it means to have no basic human rights, <clears throat> allow me to give you an example. Um, when my son was about three years old, who could barely speak at that time, he, he was quite, he's quite a quiet child. Um, we sent him to school one day at 7.30 a.m. And then at 11 a.m., my husband was at work and his colleague came up to him and said, oh, hey, is this your son? And then when he looked at her phone, he found my son advertised on Facebook as a lost child. And then we found out that the bus driver didn't check the bus to see if there were any kids that fell asleep. And he just kept on going. He parked wherever, wherever on earth he parked and just, and just left the bus stranded. And my son was able to open the door, just like push it. You know how the buses have those, you know, um, those movable doors, foldable doors. He was able to push it and get out of the bus. And I'm so grateful that good people found my son and these good people put him on Facebook. Other than that, only God knows what would have happened to him. And what's worse is that when you're working in a country illegally and you're living there illegally, you're too afraid to go to the police because we thought that maybe the police would look at us first. And we were afraid that they would find out that we were illegal and Syrian, and they would just send us back to Syria and really not care about my son. So that's what it means to have no basic human rights. And that's what it means when I say that refugees are really, really <clears throat> unfortunate individuals because we used to have good lives, but you know, when war happens, you know, this is what happens to, you know, such a waste of human resources at a time where, you know, the global economy and the UK economy is suffering from a huge skills gap. And eventually, you know, after eight years being in Lebanon, we reached our limits, we were broke. We didn't know if we, we could even put our children in school. I even felt ashamed of our situation because I used to never, I would never tell my parents like <clears throat> I was struggling because I always wanted them to be proud of me. So I remember with a heavy heart, you know, my husband <clears throat> one day, I'm sorry. No, You've got now. nothing to be sorry for. This is if you need a little break and you want us to take over for a minute, that's no problem. Do you want us to give you a I minute? Just, it's all right. I just remember the day where my husband he reached out to a smuggler, you know, because it was the only way out of this hole. So, you know, he began to, he started to speak to the smuggler and, you know, the plan was for him to go to Turkey by boat. And, and as much as I was against him traveling, because I was worried that as, as people coming to another country, seeking asylum, I didn't want people to look at us in a bad way, you know, cause we're educated. I mean, we're not beggars, you know, we're very, very talented individuals. And luckily just a few days before my husband's travel, I actually received the phone call that changed my life. I was told that PSR group were recruiting someone to join their build a career team. And I put my CV forward, but when you're so used to rejection and, and negativity, 
I had actually, I had like minus zero hope that anything would happen out of this. But then, but then, I, and I was told like we would, they would not discriminate me in the interviews, me and the other candidates, and we'd all be treated very fairly, like any other, you know, British person. And then one interview led to the other, and look at where I am now. I'm in the UK. I'm a successful woman. I'm safe. I'm happy, and I don't have to worry about my kids not going to school anymore. I have rights. I have basic human rights as well. I can even buy my, you know, I can even save money and, and buy my children toys, you know, little things that we usually take for granted. And I really hate talking about myself and I wish my manager was here to speak on my behalf, but I have been also been able to give back to the company with my skills and my hard work. And I'm always going to be very loyal to them because they didn't just give me a job. They changed my whole life, you know, I mean, the Displaced Talent Program has really been an amazing experience. I feel like I'm the luckiest person alive. I'm so grateful. And I really hope that people can see that, you know, I am living proof that this program works and that Displaced Talent are really underrepresented, but highly um, skilled and qualified people. We should just never judge people by their label. I mean, I don't know where I would have been now if I had been for this program. And this is my story. And... I'm more than happy to have to answer any of your questions. And thank you so much for listening to me, listening to me. Sorry, I'll stop oh. here now. <laughs> Nariman, honestly, that is obviously I mean, I, I heard you at an exhibition and was just blown away by your story for for, for many reasons. But I think it's just when you're talking about your children and things, I, I'm a mum as well. Like, and my brain will not let me comprehend how difficult that is for you and, and everything what you've gone through and also I was shocked because all we do know is what we see in the media and I, I do like to think I live my life with an open mind and surely there's more to this than you know what we're seeing but if the only access to information you have is all about oh, refugees and asylum seekers and all of the negatives then there isn't much else to go off which is why when I met you I thought I really want to give you a platform to show your story and to show I mean as you know the construction industry is suffering a huge skills gap shortage well most industries are at the minute and so um what a great time to be able to look into a, a program like this displaced talent I wonder if you can tell us a bit more about that program and if people who are listening are interested in getting involved in this or just finding out more about it where can they go to find out more information and also what does that process look like as an employer um to to take on somebody from this program what what are the, the steps what's the time frames etc well it's very it's very um it's quite simple and quite direct i mean um if people are interested to look into this program and maybe they they may not be ready just now just yet to to hire somebody from this talent but i really invite people just just to have this conversation just to look at the data that we have um, if they're interested, they can definitely reach out to me. Um, I, my emails are my bio, our website as well, bluthecareer.org. Um, and um, we provide full turnkey service for this for this um, program. So if an employer is interested in, in, in hiring displaced talent, what would happen is that they would put forward the CVs that they are recruiting for. And then we go back to our database and we search for these candidates. And we do intakes with them or we meet them, you know, via Teams or a call and we just to make sure that they have the right skill set. And then we put these CVs forward to the client to and then we set up the interviews between the client and the candidates. 
once there's an interest, yeah, and a job offer is given, then we start with the visa process. We have our own uh, immigration law firm that um, if the company has their own law firm, they're free, feel they're free to use it. And then we provide as well a, a resettlement support. So when the candidate gets the visa and they come to the UK, we we are always in touch for the for the next for the whole year with the client and the candidate to make sure that they're both comfortable and um, that everything's going well with them. And the beauty about this is that we actually have a mobility fast track visa that's exclusive to displaced talent. And the turnaround for it is only five days. So once the visa is issued or once the application is given, it only takes five days to get a result. As in my case, it was five days and that includes weekends as well. So within five days, you can get your candidate and then you can just, you know, they'll just have to book the flight and then come here to the UK. So another benefit of this mobility visa is that um, applicants receive priority processing and case management support to overcome uh, administrative barriers, such as, let's say, accessing passports or travel documents. And they'll also have access to safeguards in the event that, let's say, they lose their job. Or so just to ensure that they are not returned to their country where they face danger. And as with other international skilled workers, um, displaced tenant candidates will be entitled to a five-year skilled worker visa and then indefinite leave to remain in the UK. So <clears throat> it's quite a direct process. The main thing that a company needs to have is an international um, license. And then uh, that would give them, which is just like, it's, which is a one-off cost, where once you have it, you can bring in as many candidates as you want for, to, to the UK. That's brilliant. Thanks, Nariman. Um, I'll open it up. I, I know Hayley's only with us for another 10 minutes, so I'll see if um, Hayley has any questions. And I'll come around to Carol and Dr. Judy as well. So, Hayley, mm -hmm. what are you saying? Yeah, perfect. Thank you. First of all, Nariman, thank you so, so much for sharing that. It was difficult to listen to, never mind for you to say. So, I appreciate your openness. Um, I'm in complete awe of you. I can't even compute what what you went through. Um, like Michaela said, we see things on the news or even films and it, it, even seeing it on a film, you go, that's my worst nightmare. So for you to live through that and be where you are now, um, you must just be so, so proud of yourself. I hope you are. Um, I would love to get involved. Um, I'm looking for electricians at the moment. So if me and you can have a chat outside of this room, um, maybe next week to see how we can make that happen, um, get some people into work. I just think as human beings, we have a right to um, to help. I just think we need to, um, regardless of someone's status or where they've come from or, or, or why, I just think we, we need to help. And if we're in a position to do so, I just urge everybody to do that if you can. But yeah, if we can have a chat, please, that would be absolutely great. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're most more than welcome. And I can, you know, um, we have like, um, um, like a brochure that we can give out to people if they're interested. It has like all the information um, regarding the space talent, the skills that they've got. Um, so if anyone's interested, I can definitely send something over. It's really, as you said, it is it is really great where you, can, where you feel like you're helping someone and it really is a win-win situation. I mean, you find someone skilled and at the same time you help them change their life. And the beauty about this place talent is that you're not only giving someone a job, are you actually contributing to educating the next generation? I mean, in terms of my children, 
now they're they're in a safe country. They've got an education. I don't, they're going to study. They're going to become UK citizens one day. And it's really kind of like a chain reaction. And we definitely do have a lot of electricians. We have um, trade trade workers, um, construction workers, site managers, site engineers. We have healthcare workers. I mean, we even have, again, archaeologists. I mean, anything that you're looking for, I mean, we have it. And I can definitely share some info if anyone's interested. And I really do encourage even small businesses to, to look into it because um, if you think about it, it's still cheaper to recruit through displaced talent than through a recruitment company in the UK. To give you an example, um, let's say an architect here in the UK, he would probably require a salary of £100,000. And then you'd also have to pay a 20% recruitment fee, which is about £20,000. Unlike a displaced talent who is already has the skills, but he will come onto a much lower level position because he doesn't have this, you know, quote unquote, local experience, even though he has the skills. And then eventually he will work his way up to his actual level. So I really encourage people to look into it. It's really worth a conversation and you really have nothing to lose. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely up for that. So hopefully Mika Michaela can share your details with me and I'll um. I'll be in touch next week, but I do have to jump out really soon. I'm going to definitely listen to the rest of this once it's on the podcast um, because I love your story and um, thank you for being here, Norman. Thank you so much, Hayley. I appreciate you being here. Thanks. Um, Carol, I will come to you. What are you saying? Oh, honestly, what a fantastic interview. And Norman, thank you so much for sharing and it must be so painful, you know, as both Haley and Michaela have mentioned that you know we see different things on on the so on media as to what's going on there and yeah it, as as we said it's everybody's worst nightmare and that the effect of war that it does you know you're there living your life doing what you do normally sacrifices in terms of your parents getting you the education and for me, Nariman, one of the things that touched me was, you know, I th I'm, I'm very much into names and I, you know, looked at what you, the meaning of your name is. And in, in one meaning, it says faith and brightness, which to me is, you know, it really comes from how you've been sharing what you've done and what your future is going to be and continue to be as you help others. But then I looked at the, the other meaning, which means precious angel. And that's what you are. You've been brought here to, to do do so much for others um, and everything that you've, you've, you've shared with us this morning is the, the strength that you have from within to, to deliver um, based on your experience, you know, sharing that, you know, you're in, a, you're in as an illegal, you're there and you get a, a message and, you know, your, your child is, is, is there on social media as, as a missing child. That's every parent grandparent you know family members nightmare to to see that and how you could you know deal with that as well as think well okay i've dealt with that and i've got, got to continue here and, and help others so i work um, within you know the construction technology but also business technology and we're always looking for talent and you know getting talent in and getting their true deserve you know way of earning an income but also continuing on from the journey that they started in their homeland so we don't discriminate we want to ensure that everyone has an opportunity so like Michaela and Haley have mentioned we're here to support 
anything you can send through in literature. I will definitely um, share it with the individuals in my, my team to ensure that we can give others opportunities. Because, you know what, individuals that have gone through hardship and challenges are the people that grow the future businesses. You know, talent is there. They know that they're strong and can help shape the future as well. So absolutely love your share. Thank you. Cheers, Carol. Sorry, go on, Naomi. No, I was going to say thank you, Carol, and I really appreciate everyone's support. I mean, I'm so glad that my story has been able to resonate with people, and I'm just so proud and so grateful that, you know, I have Build a Career gave me this opportunity to really be the voice of these innocent, underrepresented people. And like Carol said, I mean, people who have gone through struggles are the ones that are who are usually who usually stay and stick for longer. And the same goes to myself. I mean, I owe, you know, build a career in my life because they've, you know, literally turned it upside down to the, in a positive way. And, you know, there are just so many benefits to hiring a displaced talent, you know, other than the retention. It's great for productivity. You get a diverse workforce. You <clears throat> you get these individuals are very, very multi-talented. And I always like to emphasize how multi-talented they are because <clears throat> we actually have two candidates. We have an architect who we've brought into the UK. And when he came here, he uh, we found out that he wasn't just an architect. He was actually a design manager, a structure engineer, and he knows formwork design. Uh, because architects abroad um, are more into the into the build as well. They don't just do the design. They're very, you know, it's just, it's a very employer-led market abroad. And another candidate that's recently got a job offer with one of our clients, um, he's coming to the UK hopefully before the end of this year with his wife and his daughter. He's a senior site engineer, but he also knows quality assurance and quality control. And as far as I'm concerned, I know that these are three completely different things and three different job roles. So imagine, you know, the skill set of these individuals. Imagine you know, the value that they could add to your company, to your and just adding them to your portfolio really improves a person's, you know, a company's corporate social responsibility um, and reputation as well. And I really encourage people to look into it again. I keep repeating this, but I would really like to have a lot of conversations with people and just really break the stigma about um, displaced talent because they really are amazing. Not because I'm, because I'm amazing <laughs> or because I'm a displaced talent, but it's really true. I mean, I mean, I've lived it, I've experienced it, I've seen it with my own eyes. I mean, it's such a shame where you have candidates who, are, who had, let's say, uh, their own pharmacies. I mean, I know a candidate who's had his own pharmacy, who was very successful, but for the past 10 years, he's been working in restaurants, uh, in retail, you know, just, you know, any kind of job just to be able to secure an income. You hear of like engineers who are now working in X countries and they're selling vegetables and stuff on those carts. And you feel really upset, like what a waste of human resources, you know, I mean, it's just such a waste. And then to be discriminated and portrayed in the worst way possible through the media, I mean, it just upsets me that why can't they be, why can't they be shown for what they truly are. I mean, let's talk about their skills. Let's stop talking about the crisis that they're already going through and open opportunities for these, these individuals to, to, to come and have a better life. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thanks, Sarah, and thanks, Carol. Um, Peter, you've joined us on stage. Do you have anything that you want to add to this or any questions for Nariman? And also, nice to see you again. Hiya. No, uh, thanks for the, um, the allowance here and the invite. I appreciate it. And um, I continually follow what it is that, that you do and what it is that you bring. And the gift of today's conversation um just do more of it you you've got the you've got the opportunity you've got the 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 freedom and the choice that you made to do what you've done today to give space again is is of such high value um i continue to enjoy what you do and and you as an individual so thank you very much Oh, the cheers, Peter. Thanks very much. Um, Nariman, I'd like to um, ask you a question, if I could. Um, how, well, two, two things. How long have you been in the UK and what have you found it like since, obviously, you've gone from Syria to Lebanon and now you're in the UK? What's, what's your experience been like of living here? Um, first of all, thank you, Peter, and I appreciate everything you said. I really appreciate all the support and these <laughs> that everyone's been giving me so far. I was actually so nervous to come on and talk because I really don't like to, you know, open my past, you know, put it in a box and just put it away. Um, I've been in the UK for about, um, for nine months, yeah, almost 10 months now. And um, it's been great. I mean, yes, it's a different uh, country, it's a different culture, but it's really been fantastic. I mean, the people are lovely, the food's great. Um, and I have an amazing, amazing, amazing company, you know, especially my manager, Abdul Mazamdar, uh, who always support me. Um, they're always, you know, taking care of me. I mean, I imagine, I remember, I remember when I came, I came exactly on the 28th of December, 2021. And our CEO, James Sander, left his family and left his Christmas celebrations and was coming to my house and buying me cereal from, and biscuits for my children. <laughs> so. I have I have such an amazing company that have been you know very very supportive. I'm very happy being here. I just I'm just so glad that I feel comfortable. I'm so safe. You know that's the most important thing. You know I know that I'm just glad that I know I can plan my future. You know there's no there's nothing that's not stable or um, you know there's no gray area. It's either yes or no, and I'm very grateful for it. I mean it's completely different to what I was living. To, to how I was living in Lebanon, where every single day was a struggle and every single day was a fight, you know, to prove my worth, to get a job, to keep the job, to showcase how, how talented I are, I, I am, sorry, and um, to be able to provide for my children, keep them comfortable, because in the end, my children are like, my children are the only reason why I wake up every day. I mean, they're the reason why I'm still here. And if I can provide for them, I don't care if I live on, on a you know, a piece of bread or a cracker, as long as my kids are happy, I'm definitely going to be happy. So this is what the UK has offered me and what, you know, my wonderful team have done for me as well. And I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Armin. And then, um, obviously, your husband came over. He was an architect in Syria. Um, so a couple of things on that. When, when you do recruit displaced talent, I'm guessing, like, construction sites and the way that things are built and everything's 
different. What is that bedding in process like? Has he found it vastly different to be an architect in the in the UK or what what's that like? Um <clears throat> Uh, my cousin, my husband is, is, I think architecture is kind of like a niche thing in the UK because there's this, this thing where you need to have local experience. But if you think about it, an architect uses AutoCAD or Revit and it's the same as it is abroad. So what can he do abroad that he couldn't, that he can't do here in the UK? Yeah. But the good thing about my husband is that he's, he's actually literally, he's recently found a job. He's very successful and and uh, they were actually so surprised by his skill set because here, again, you know, architects, you know, if I always give this example, you know, and I think you're gonna remember it, Michaela, but it's the salad example. Like um, when you wanna make a salad in the UK, you have one person who specializes in cutting the lettuce and one person who specializes in cutting the cucumbers and one person to for the salt. But abroad, one person alone does half those things, if not all. So. My husband was very happy that he found he found work here. He's he's treated as an equal. He gets his salary on time. He's respected. I mean, there's he doesn't feel like like an outsider. And I and I feel the same way because if I could just mention something, when because we used to hate being discriminated all the time back in Lebanon, I used to sometimes tell my husband like, change your accent, like try to make a Lebanese accent, like change the way the things that you're saying. And I'm lucky because I speak English fluently. So I would throw, a, you know, a couple of English words in there and people would think I was from Australia. So here I can literally be myself and my husband is himself. And we're really, you know, just very grateful for um, everything that's happened so far. Oh, brilliant. And Nariman, do you mind if I asked you about what it was like in Syria pre the war and post the war? And obviously you had to leave, so it was horrendous. But I wonder if you can tell me what it was like growing up there before that and you obviously going on to get your degree and starting your family, et cetera, before you had to, um, and then and then how did this unfold when, when, the, when the war happened? How long did you remain there before you, you had to flee? You know, you know, Michaela, I can sit here and talk for hours, <laughs> but I don't want to waste so much time. Um, but <clears throat> I was actually, I was actually born in Cyprus. I wasn't born in Syria and I stayed there for 18 years. And the reason why I was born in Cyprus is because my dad was born with kidney problems. Um, and when he was born, you know, the doctor told him that he wouldn't survive to the end of the year. And we were, and my, and my grandfather, um, you know, didn't want to send him to the army because every male person, every ma person, every man in Syria had to go to the army, regardless if you have an issue, if you can't see, if you're, if you have any issues, you have to go to the army. And because my grandfather didn't want to lose my father, he, he helped him escape Syria and go to, uh, an, to Cyprus where he stayed there with my mom. And that's where, you know, me and my sisters were born. So uh, after 18 years, my grandparents and they became much older and they told my my parents you know come back we miss you we haven't seen you for a long time come build your life here stay next to us you know so my dad just sold everything and we just moved to syria and we actually had a good life there i mean we were living comfortably i mean it's literally not what you see in the media like you know like you know you're living in like a desert or something no we were living a normal life you know going to work coming home and because you know because I lived abroad, you know, I was, you know, I was open to all these things. Like, you know, I, I read Harry Potter, 
I watched a lot of movies. Um, I loved to read. I loved, you know, when, when, you know, the laptop was a big thing there back then, like 50,000 years ago, you know, I was very interested to have a laptop. It was such a strange thing in Syria, you know, because especially the city that I come from, you know, they're quite, I don't want to talk about them in a negative way, but it's just the city that I come from. They're kind of, it's not as, um, um, can't say it in a, I can't even say it in a nice way, but you understand the, what I'm trying to say. So, and then, you know, it took me like two years to convince my parents to like, let me go to university. And when, and when they finally said yes, you know, despite all the hardship they went through, all the criticism and all the negative comments, I mean, you can imagine what that does to someone's, you know, mental health, you know, as parents, they want your daughter, they want their kids to be the best. They want their children to be looked in the best light. So my parents were kind of against it at first, but when they saw how, you know, how insisting I was and how desperate I wanted, I just wanted to study. I mean, that's all I wanted. I mean, I wasn't asking to go to Mars, you know, but it's not, but it was so much more easier said than done. And then finally, when, you know, when they told me yes, again, you know, I just took the opportunity and I ran with it. And I was, you know, I was going to university and going back to my dorm room. I was studying, you know, going to visit my parents every weekend and coming back. And I was really just having, you know, I just had a good life. But then the war happened, you know, something that I didn't ask for and a lot of us didn't ask for. And that's what kind of like, you know, ruined everything for me and for many other people. I mean, I'm just a drop in the ocean of what's happening out there. There are so many more talented people who've also lost this opportunity. You know, even friends of ours and friends of my husband's. So the, the Syrian war really did, you know, turn everything upside down for us. And then we stayed in Syria for another two years. So when the war happened, we stayed there for two more years, you know, because as Syrians, we didn't know where to go. I mean, all the countries shut their doors on us. And as Syrians, it's difficult to get a visa. And when <clears throat> me and my husband, me and my husband, we tried to apply for a skilled worker visa to Canada, they required like 20,000 pounds in your bank account. And we didn't have that money. And my dad, he worked in an area called, we call it the industrial zone in Syria. And it was taken over by the army as well, the Syrian army. So my dad had to, you know, spend out of his savings for the next two years. So to tell you just a little bit more about what happened, the reason, another reason why we decided to leave to live, I mean, what really pushed our boundaries was um, someone was started to text my father and threaten him that he was going to kidnap my brother, who's the youngest of us. We're five children. He's the youngest. If my dad didn't pay a specific amount of money. And my dad kind of like disregarded that at first. But then he started getting more text messages and they would get worse. Like, oh, I saw your son today standing at your door, for example. Or I saw him in this area. And you start to get so afraid. I mean, imagine, I mean, after everything that's going, this is the last thing that you want. I mean, I remember thinking, am I in a movie? I mean, is this real? People are threatening us with my brother. I mean, this is not logical, you know, and on that, and in that instant, I mean, we didn't plan to go to Lebanon like over a few weeks or months time. It was in that instant where, we, where the threats became so scary, where my dad's like, we're leaving tomorrow. So in the middle of the night, we packed, we, we booked a taxi, and the next day we just ended up in Lebanon. That's how bad it was. So, oh um, it's yeah. like actually living in a nightmare, especially like you say, you just had such a normal life and then just the chaos to unfold around you. 
that is, yeah, my God, it's like an actual nightmare. Um, I have just had a question come through from Marvin. Uh, one second. Um, so he said, as it's Mental Health Awareness Month, my question is, what did you do? Cope with the pressures of the threats, um, the parents not wanting her to study instead of getting married, etc. So how did that um, affect your mental health, all of these issues that you was coming up against and, and how did you cope with it? That's actually a good question because believe it or not, I didn't know that something called mental mental health ever existed until I came to the UK. And I didn't realize how, you know, how, what, what a big deal it was here. You know, it never occurred to me that there's something called mental health. And honestly, I don't know how I dealt with it. Like, I really don't know. Um, I just maybe, because I like to read, I always, you know, resort to my books and get lost in my books. You know, I really enjoyed reading a lot uh, because, you know, I was struggling on many sides, like with my parents and with relatives, and then in Lebanon, str struggling with the, the the environment that I was living in. But I always had my husband, you know, my husband was like my rock. I could always lean to him and rant and scream and shout. <laughs> but it's very important that a person, you know, always finds someone to talk to. I mean, because I feel like I'm the type of person that when I'm upset, you know, I like to talk, like really talk about it. And even though after I've finished speaking, I still feel like I'm still upset. But the fact that I had someone, and I'm very lucky that I had my husband, you know, all this time, you know, speaking to him um, always helped. And before that, you know, I've got my lovely sisters. They always stood by my side. They knew how much I loved to study and how much I wanted to study. So I'd always go back to them. So I've always had like a good support system, either from my sister's side while I was in Syria and from my husband's side while I was in Lebanon. And I always feel like it's so important to speak, like just don't hide it in yourself because it really hurts you. You know, like <clears throat> even now, like when I'm at the company, if something bothers me, you know, I just pull my manager aside and say, Abdul, this and this and that. <laughs> and he'll be like, it's okay, calm down. You're fine, you'll do this. <laughs> so it's really important to have someone to talk to and who's always accessible to you. And, and that's how basically I coped with it. And, um, and thank you for your question. I hope it was, I hope I could answer it. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's great advice as well. And it's just the starting point for people. I think, unfortunately, a lot of men and women at times as well, just don't open up and get it off his chest. It is just sometimes um, you feel like, oh, if you've got what seems like a huge problem in your mind as well, then, I mean, your problems was pretty huge. Um, but then when you say it out loud, you can work and work your way through the problems and process it. And it, that definitely doesn't happen enough in this country. Uh, people like to keep themselves to themselves. Uh, I'll go over to Carol because um, Carol's here every week, always supporting, always getting involved. She loves it. So, Carol, do you have any more questions? Um, thanks, Michaela. I'm, I'm just uh, in awe of Nariman's um, being able to come and find, you know, the women in in business as a, a place that she feels that she can talk openly. You know, just going back to what Peter says, Michaela, you know, you're doing an inspirational job yourself in finding the right people that are around us that are doing such a good job in their own right, but don't get the opportunity 
to, to share as well. So again, I, I send you lots of lots of bouquets of flowers in, in this room. Nariman, just, just thinking um, about you know, what you've shared today, um, and, and apologies if I missed, you know, in terms of family and, and you know, wider friends and everything else, what, what, it, what, is, what, what is happening now in terms of you know, being in contact and day-to-day um, for you and, you know, and, and family, wider afield and friends? Um, thank you, Carol, and thank you for the bouquets. <laughs> um, well, if you remember back in, I think it was 2015, when there was like this surge of refugees who, you know, all of a sudden there were like thousands and thousands of refugees traveling to Europe illegally. Well, my parents were actually part of that wave. And, you know, at the time we were still new in Lebanon and, you know, we thought, you know, I, I had just gotten my first job and my husband started to work, it started to work. So we thought, you know what, you know, you know, we just started to build our lives. I mean, I don't want to go back to zero and you know, just live in a camp, you know, where I, I, I don't have access to anything. And honestly, I didn't want to be labeled um, as a refugee because, again, I was so afraid of how people would perceive me as an asylum seeker versus someone who's on a skilled worker visa. So my parents um, uh, traveled to Europe. My parents are currently in um, Sweden and I'm always in touch with them. My, one of my sisters, or oh, two of my sisters are, are uh, abroad as well. Um, and I'm always in touch with them. I haven't seen my mum since 2015. Um, so I really miss her. And I'm looking hopefully next year to be able to travel and visit her. And I'm still in touch with a few of my friends. And um, most of my friends are actually, you know, they, they, you know, they were able to travel to Saudi Arabia or to Kuwait or Qatar. So, you know, they're, luckily they're in a safe place, you know, because they have their families there already. I think I was just the unlucky one who <laughs> had nowhere to go. Um, but I'm still in touch with my friends. We're always in touch. We're always chatting, you know, update each other about what's going on in our lives. And hopefully, you know, I'll be able to reunite with my family really soon. Oh, thank you. So oh, wow. You know, family at a time when things are difficult are what we all we we all turn to, and um, and Michaela obviously I can relate to um, Nariman. You know, not seeing your mum from since 2015 that that must be so so hard, very difficult. And I know there's technology and there's there's phones, but it's it's hard not seeing you know your mother, father, or family in person. And I you know along with everyone listening, hopefully, you know, you, that time comes soon that you can, you know, put your, wrap your arms around her and um, you can continue to share what an amazing woman you've become in what you've been doing and continue to do. It's been a pleasure for me. Thanks very much. Thank you, Carol. Oh, cheers, Carol. And uh, Nariman, one last question on the, um, the displaced talent front. Um, I, this this displaced talent from all over the world. Like, what is what is people's demographic? What do they typically look like? I know. I think you said you had forty two thousand candidates on your books. So, can you tell us a bit more about them? I guess in general. Uh, yes. Um, yeah. They were. They. We actually started with only twenty five thousand candidates, and only recently we've reached up to you know. Um, 50,000, almost 50,000. So 
I need to update those books. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. And these candidates are uh, mainly from their their nationalities are mainly like Syrian or Palestinian or from Afghanistan. But what we have is something called a talent catalog, which is like an online platform that's open to anybody who's who's a refugee. Even you know what's happening now the Ukraine. It's also open to Ukrainians. We have all kinds of nationalities on our talent catalog. Again, they are from every single industry. We have tech professionals, engineers, uh, trade workers, <clears throat> and they speak English. Um, so um, is there something specific you'd like to know, uh, Michaela? No, I, ju I just wondered what that talent pool was like really, and, and, and what countries they was coming from, if it was just refugees or if it was if it was just people in general as well who was looking for a working visa, but you're saying it is just um, it, it's refugees. Yeah, I mean, anyone who cannot go back to their home country is considered a, a refugee. Um, so we focus mainly on um, people who are uh, refugees who are living abroad, who are displaced, who are living in a country where they cannot go back to their home countries. It's just amazing work. It's just such <laughs> a great initiative that, that build a career of, of brass out here. And especially with the two-week visa thing as well, I was blown away with that. So, and all the help and the assistance, because I know I, I was intrigued to know that, oh, if you come over with all your family, like it's really difficult to just change jobs or just move house or just have children. All these things are just difficult in general. So to change countries, get a new job, get settled in, understand a different environment, um, a different life language not not like your mother tongue as well all these things are just uh, stressful in, in, on their own so to clump them all together so it's really nice to hear as well that build a career supports um, both the employee and employer don't they in that transition period yeah yeah we do provide like full turnkey service um and we really hope that we can you know really be this catalyst for positive change um 83% of the candidates that we have are men and 16% of them are women. I know it's such a small number, but, you know, living in the, you know, in the Middle East is, you know, the, the culture is quite different, but we do have very educated individuals um, and they're multilingual. I mean, they speak, they, some of them speak two languages. Some speak like, you know, German in addition to their Arabic or Turkish or French. So you can imagine, <clears throat> you know, just the skill set of these uh, wonderful people. And the countries that we have them from are mainly from uh, Lebanon, Jordan, Turkey. Um, that is where most of the candidates um, are actually located, the ones who are displaced. And the beauty about this mobility visa, again, the turnaround time for it is only five days. So I would say the whole process of you know hiring a candidate and him and him or her coming to the UK is between three months to six months, and it always depends on the situation um, because let's say for example from from my experience uh, PSR group didn't have an international license and that alone took about three months but once they had it and they applied for the, the when they put their application through and I was able to apply for the visa I was I literally got a reply within five days and then a couple I think two weeks later I was able to come to the UK it always depends on the the circumstances as well 
Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Taraman. And um, two final questions from Marvin as well was what advice would you have for other people who is who are in the situation you was in and how can everybody here help and support the mission of Build a Career? What I would advise people who are who, who are in situations where I was in is just be strong and the best is yet to come. Whenever you feel like the, the world is, you know, pushing down on you, eventually there's going to be a time where things are going to get better and they will get better because after coming here to the UK, I didn't realize how many, you know, <clears throat> organizations were trying to help refugees, unlike when you see abroad. Regard even if it's let's say the UNHCR or or other like nonprofit organizations. Um I think it's just just it's just about hold on, be strong. You know, maybe your time hasn't come yet. I mean, I stayed in Lebanon for eight years, and as I said before, when you're so used to this rejection and this negativity, you, you kind of just like lose hope. Like, and when I applied for this job, I thought, you know, I, I remember, I remember, my husband found out about this place, Tenant, from um, from Facebook, and then. He was like nagging at me, telling me, come apply, apply, apply. And I was like, why? I mean, we've never been accepted before. What's the point? Because previously, before discovering this place, Talent, um, uh, this program, we tried to reach out to embassies. We tried to apply for jobs, you know, uh, internationally. But knowing that employers, they find it very difficult to to bring talent from abroad because it's a difficult process. You know, like, where do we find, how do you bring them here? The visa process and it's, such a burden, I presume. But thankfully, the Displaced Time program is very straightforward. It's very simple. We've got the right partners to, to work with, and we can provide, you know, again, wraparound service and support. And how companies can support is really very simple. I'm not going to tell you, come and hire Displaced Talent. I'm just going to invite other companies to just reach out and just have a conversation. I mean, because it's really worth looking into this talent that we have, you know. Maybe you're not ready to hire this place on it now, but <clears throat> maybe hopefully in the future. And I would really appreciate it if people started, you know, to help break the stigma around refugees because it's not fair that the only way people know about us is through the media, which has their own agenda. So I would appreciate if people could just, you know, spread the word more, you know, talk about, share what we do, maybe share, you know, some of our um, posts that we post online and um really support us in um proving you know the media wrong <laughs> i guess yeah absolutely um i personally hate the media as well nariman so you must absolutely detest them um right i just want to say thank you so much nariman for coming and sharing your story i know at times it was difficult for you to talk about it but it's so inspirational just all of the challenges that you've overcome and to be here to be settled and happy is honestly so amazing i know it's the second time i've heard this story and i was still blown away by it it's um yeah you, you've done you've done brilliantly well i know you was a bit nervous before but you absolutely smashed it um this 
this is also going to be turned into a podcast. So if anybody missed any parts of it, then it'll be available later on this evening. And once again, I just want to say thank you to our sponsors of this room, Big Dog. Uh, the link is at the top. They, they've supported women in construction for the last two years. Uh, they're an amazing company and allow me and Hayley and Carol to have this space to be able to interview people like Nariman and bring these important issues to the forefront. Uh, the link's at the top and they are the shelving, racking and storage specialists. After two years, you think I'd be used to saying that. I'm absolutely not. Um, so again, once again, thanks Nariman. Thanks Carol. Thanks uh, Marvin for your questions. Everybody else who got involved. Um, yeah, download the podcast, share it with people and please do follow, follow Nariman and, and build a career on LinkedIn and share some of the stuff because you just don't know you might be interested in how many people's lives that we can change just from having this little room and, and, our, and our podcast going on. Um, so thank you very much everybody and have a lovely weekend.